Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash boss. Welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creatives, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want to take control of their work and live life on their own terms. I'm your host, Emily Thompson, and in this episode, I'm joined by author Carrie Severson to talk about what it is to feel enough, redefining success, and recovering from burnout. You can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and share us with a friend. Want to build a more streamlined business, but want to do it in quick spurts of actionable info? Then you've got to check out I Digress, a show hosted by Troy Sandage, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. With shows under 30 minutes, I Digress helps eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion in your business with frameworks and strategies to achieve scalable and sustainable success, and does so with episodes like How to Attract Your Ideal Customer in an Oversaturated Market, and Hourly Rates versus versus project pricing, charge for value for results instead of time. Learn more and listen to I Digress wherever you get your podcasts. Carrie Severson is the author of Unapologetically Enough, Reshaping Success and Self-Love. And she's the boss behind the Unapologetic Voice House, a hybrid book publishing business launched in 2019. Carrie, welcome to Being Boss. Hi, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Of course, I'm excited to have you. I always am thrilled when uh, when an OG boss, you were just mentioning how you did a blog post for us back mm-hmm. in 2016, how, you know, an old school boss sort of circles back around and has done something <laughs> really cool. So congrats on the thing we're going to talk about today. Thanks. But I also just want to hear your story with maybe a highlight on what you were doing in 2016. Mm-hmm. And what you've been doing since then. So open us up with telling us your story. How did you get to where you are today? Well, so in 2016, first of all, I'm a professional writer. I am yep. a hybrid publisher. I'm an entrepreneur. In 2016, I had just sort of come out of the darkness of burnout. And um, my first entrepreneurship experience was a nonprofit I launched in 2011. Caught on fire. I took off running. Wait, literally or like figuratively? (laughs) Figuratively. Sorry. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It it was a bullying solutions organization for young girls in Mm. the like peak of girl on girl bullying. Yeah. So I took off running at a super fast pace, couldn't keep up with the demand and burned out. And when I went back to my roots of storytelling to sort of recover from burnout and um, like most magical things do happen in my life. It happened. I happened to be at a party in like Santa Monica, met this woman. She's like, so tell me what you do. And I'm like, well, I'm actually a writer. I'm recovering from burnout. And she was with Huffington Post at the time. And she's like, oh my gosh, you have to write about burnout. 
So in 2016, I was actually writing about my burnout experience and helping women around the world pull their stories out of their closets and find platforms to get published. So I had a little storytelling business that I grew and that's what I was doing. I was helping women around the world tell their stories and get published doing it. So, and that led to me finding the guts to put a book, a book together. And I started pitching agents consistently being compared to really big writers with really big platforms. And because I didn't have those things uh, or wasn't, you know, comparable, I was always being passed up. So um, how I landed here today, I actually, in 2019, decided to create my own publishing business called the Unapologetic Voice House. And um, I, that's what I do. I actually publish other people's work and uh, decided this is the year we're going to tell my story. So that's where I'm at. We're about to publish my book. Yeah, you are. Congratulations. Um, I think this is so interesting because, you know, being burned out, I guess, 2014, 2015 um, Mm -hmm. sounds about the time that 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 was happening. I mean, it's kind of before burnout was cool. (laughs) Yeah. Not that it's cool, but it it is. It's such a such a buzzword right now. I mean, over the course of the past two years in particular, um, everyone has sort of hit their wall. Right. Of mm-hmm. like, I have no more energy for this. I need to take care of myself. It is dark and scary. Um, so you were experiencing this years ago. And I you mentioned magic a minute ago. I think there's a bit of magic in that. It happened seven, eight years ago, and you've been putting this book together and it's coming out now mm-hmm. when the world is probably most ready to receive such a book. Whereas if this had come <laughs> out in 2018, 2019, they'd have burnout. Like, who's this? Like, what right. is this about? But now everyone's like scrambling to figure out burnout because everyone's yep. feeling it. Yep. Yeah. It was crazy. I, um, yeah, I actually woke up on my 35th birthday and you know, um, when you're, when you have, an intuition in your tune with your intuition, you'll get like random messages. And I woke up on my 35th birthday. And the first thing I heard was burnout. And like, I got that in my soul, like that word flashed across my face. And I'm like, what is this? What does that mean? And I turned on my phone and typed in burnout in, you know, the search engine and all of these things just flashed before me. And I was like, I can recognize all of that. I know yeah. exactly what that feels like being emotionally drained, being psychologically you know, just put out and feeling energetically fried. I know exactly what that feels like. And so that was this term. I was like, I think I, this is what I'm experiencing. And um, yeah, I went into hiding. I like would, I I was running a nonprofit at the time and I put all of my responsibilities onto the board. And I was like, I need to heal. And I took eight weeks and I sat in my <laughs> I went back home to where I grew up, um, was grateful for some support financially and sat in my, the deck of my childhood home and just waited to like feel better. And that didn't work. You just can't sit and wait for stuff to change. Right. So I, I would wait to hear something or feel something and I would write it out. Um, yeah, I went through a process of like feeling an emotion, writing out how, why I felt that. And just kept on digging and digging and digging and writing it all out until the point where it was like, I have to find some boundaries. I have to make an effort to feel happy. 
I have to change this cycle and slowly started to pull myself out of the rat race of being in the center of everything and doing everything myself to pushing responsibilities out to literally flipping the way the nonprofit was doing business. I mean, it took effort to move out of that space. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, the feeling of burnout is like, you're, um, being stabbed. Like, uh, you know, like my energy was just like constantly frayed and always on alert. I didn't, I couldn't, my shoulders were up in my ears. My back was always tense. I had physical, I was like 50 pounds heavier and I just could not catch a breath. I could not relax. I could not find my grounding, my like center, my core. Um, it was awful. So I have total sympathy for people that are experiencing it now because I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. And you even hit on something here because I don't know how connected you've stayed to being boss over the past couple of years, but Kathleen and I went through about an 18 month situation of burnout as well. Very mm-hmm. deep and dark, mm-hmm. um, very difficult. All the things that you're saying totally resonate with. Um, and one of the things that you you said there brought something up for me that I hadn't quite piece together, but it's something that I think is really important for pointed out of like getting yourself through burnout mm-hmm. because I too found myself just like sitting there and waiting. And for me, I was waiting for the mat. I was waiting for the word to fly across my, my mind. You know, I was waiting for that like divine inspiration to be like, here's the solution yep. <laughs> to, to your problem. Totally. Right. And it never really happened that way. Well, actually it's a lie. It finally did happen that way, but only after I started doing some hardcore work around – this is the thing that really just – the light bulb that came on for me is this idea that you do have to dismantle so many things around how you are currently showing up and doing your work and living and conversing with people and holding space for your relationships and all of these things. And I remember for me in particular, one of the things that came up for me during burnout was like insane negative self-talk. In a way that I have never personally experienced until I was like in the depths of burnout. And I had to do some hardcore work of like checking myself consistently and dismantling those sorts of processes um, and the spiraling that happens there. And then it happens through obviously doing all kinds of things outwardly as well. But there is this, there is a certain amount of, uh, a large certain amount of work that does have to be done to fix so many things in your life to better support you for getting out of burnout and putting yourself in a place where you're not just going to fall right back into it. Yep. For me, it was, um, so the concept of enough was really big, especially in the nonprofit world, you're constantly fighting for dollars. A lot of other people are fighting for, you're constantly having to prove yourself. And for me, it, um, I was always running, especially being in that section of girl on girl bullying when the whole world was talking about it. I went from being this one person shop to, um, literally talking to like producers of the Ellen show. I was in glamor. I was on USA network. It was huge. It really did grow. Um, fast. And I was always saying, always writing down in my journal, it's never enough. It's never enough. I don't have enough. And enough was a negative connotation for me. And so my concept of success was related a whole hundred percent related to money and related to productivity and related to external validation. And those three things were the 
big ones for me to pull apart and piece together and reshape and redefine. And um, it, that took a while. That really did. It wasn't like an easy thing because I was so programmed to this. Plus I was like the face of the organization. I'm on TV, I'm on stage. Um, but yeah, that when I started to reshift all of these patterns, things started to really open up for me and change. And I yeah. finally found like the guts to like start writing about it. So in 20, I want to say I started writing for the Huffington Post for like t- in like 2015, maybe. And that was my first piece. I came out and I was like, I'm a recovered burnout. Even though the concept of recovered, <clears throat> excuse me, is um an ongoing thing. I don't think it's so easy to fall back into that habit. I honestly feel like it's a recovering process of me being consistently checking myself, making sure that I'm defining success on my own terms. I'm not letting anyone else's definition of being enough, feeling enough, get in my way. I'm holding strong boundaries. This is something I have to do like daily. So, um, but yeah, it's rough. It's hard. I have so much, um, my heart hurts so badly for women who specifically for women who, don't feel successful, um, are constantly questioning if they're doing enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard on these entrepreneur being boss streets, right? Indeed. And you have to have strong boundaries and you have to, all the things you just said, you have to know what your version of success is and not give a rat's ass about anyone else's. Yeah, And like all of, all of these things that you're saying are totally true. Um, I want to go back to this, this enoughness because you yes. just shared what it used to mean to you and how that was, you know, bad news <laughs> for, for you moving forward. But One of the things that you did um, through writing this book is you were able to redefine to yourself what enough means. So I would love to hear from you. What does being unapologetically enough mean to you now? Right. Uh, It's so funny. So when I wrote unapologetically enough, it wasn't first called unapologetically enough. There were all these other titles for it. And I was working with my editor and I'm like, it's not the right title. It's not the right title. And so my editor was the one that came back and she's like, Carrie, this entire book is about you making sure that you're not comparing or not looking at yourself as enough from outside circumstances. You are who you are. I am who I am. As I am right now, I am unapologetically enough in this form, in this moment, because of everything I've done previously to move me into this space. of all the work I've done to reshape and redefine success and self-love. I am unapologetically enough as I am right now with the effort I have put into today. This is who I am. So for me, it was this idea that I don't have to um, be approved by you. I don't have to meet your expectations. I don't have to do those things. I don't have to show up in the way you see I have to show up. I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be everything I can for me first and fill up me first. And that's unapologetically enough for me. And so it really was this idea of pulling all these cords I had and pulling them back. You know, we talk about 
whenever I first read the the piece about how it is that you are redefi- redefining enough for yourself and how that was such a trigger word, it's something that I can relate to a lot. But then I also see myself in sort of other places, you know, oftentimes in my coaching, I'll get bosses to define for themselves, like, what is their enough number mm-hmm. <laughs> in their business? So even using that word to get people to redefine um, or just to define sort of things in their business that are so imperative to lock in on so that you know what it is that you're working on. So it's really funny that you can hold these like dual meanings of a word and dual sort of feelings for a word. Um, But I would imagine that that's a word that a lot of people, once you hear it and start thinking about your own experience with it, it has a lot of baggage for everyone. It does. For me, it was, it was in my, this is like, this is one of the things I did to recover from, to recover from burnout. And I write about this. Um, I'm a writer, so I'm, I'm a professional writer. I use my words. So I went back to my journals and I started highlighting, I noticed all these words that were coming up a lot. Enough was one of the words and I started highlighting it and it was always related to a negative connotation. And so I was like, I'm not going to use the word enough anymore. So I reframed my language. I welcome. So you wrote a whole book called Unapologetically Enough, Enough, right? (laughs) So this is like eight years ago, but I didn't do the work to actually heal it. I just put a bandaid over it and I was like, I'm not going to use this word again. So when my editor was like, your book is called Unapologetically Enough, I had (laughs) a moment. I was like, F you it is. And I like shut my computer down and I like turned my phone off and I curled up on the couch and um, I had like a total meltdown. And then I took a breath and I was like, okay, let's look at this. She's an incredibly smart woman. She's done a ton of work. She knows what she's talking about. Why is she saying this? So I actually turned to my coach and I was like, my editor wants me to call the book unapologetically enough. And my coach sends me back the angel sign, the angel emoji. And I was like, what the hell does this mean? Uh, And she's like, I want you to do research, really look at the word enough. And when I did, the first thing that popped up that my eyes went to was abundant, the word abundant. So the, the actual concept of enough is to meet the needs, to be sufficient. So even in that, it doesn't mean lack, but we look at it as lack because it's never quote enough. But when you look at the synonym of enough, words like abundance are here. Um, I, mean, I mean, like it took me all that time to look at my baggage of enough and flip it. And I'm like, wow. So this book isn't unapologetically enough is the story of how I honestly reshaped success and self-love came out of burnout, healed my body from failed IVF experiences. But really it's my journey of healing the concept of enough. And it took naming it this for me to honestly be able to do that. And it's really, I mean, I'm so grateful. It's like, it's like uh, one of my girlfriends who read it with me as I was writing it. She's like, it's really a love letter to you that you're sharing publicly. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a little freaky, but I guess so. I It, it is. It's incredibly vulnerable. I love that it takes this sort of memoir sort of stance or memoir view of burnout, whereas so many burnout books that are popular right now are very scientific, very yeah. like nuts and bolts. Here's what's happening in your brain. Here's what you need to do. Like, which it has its place 100%, but so few people are being truly vulnerable about what what put them there so that people yeah. can sort of, you know, look in the mirror and see sort of the relationship between what they're reading and what they're experiencing. 
And also how it is that they came out of it. Like very practically, like you can tell me what I need, what hormone I need more of in my brain. (laughs) Give me some like, give me some ideas to make it happen. But like, what does this actually look like in practice? So I love that it took this lens, but I also am loving what you're saying about this journey of healing your relationship with a concept of with the, with the concept of enough, because oftentimes and you know, conversations with bosses. It's funny, you brought up abundant. I know I've heard one boss in the crowd, at least, who gets so bent out of shape at the word abundant. <laughs> I can't remember who it is, but I just said it like, I've seen a boss's face just get mad <laughs> when that word is brought up or, <laughs> um, or hustle or like yeah. whatever, or manage <laughs> or yeah. so many things. I think that's such an interesting, interesting practice for maybe everyone to think of like, what is one word that just fires you up? And like, why? And, you and do why? the work and figure it out and shift it. And yeah, for yeah, for me it was enough. I mean, like I, gosh, after burnout, I was, um, I I didn't use the word. I would literally be asked to like come to corporations and like talk to managers about language they were using and how to change, you know, vibrational. Don't use this word. It's low vibe. Instead, use this word. And enough yeah. was one of those words. I was like, instead of using enough, use the word welcome. But um, yeah, now I I write it everywhere. Um, I am I am enough. This is enough. This is and it's a constant for me. It's a constant practice of honestly. It comes down to how I um, unattached my how I am unattaching other people's perceptions of who I am and what I am and what I'm doing and who I'm being to staying totally focused and centered in a hundred percent aligned with me. And yes, it is a daily practice. HubSpot's CRM platform can help you kickstart your sales process, increase your leads and stay connected with customers. Plus it will scale with your business, making HubSpot the perfect tool for any creative business owner. Hear it from a real boss using HubSpot to grow their business. My name is Laura DeFranco. I'm the founder of Free Period Press, a Being Boss podcast fan and HubSpot CRM customer. It's really important to have a pulse on what's going on with our retail customers. I want to know how their customers are responding to our product, our prices, and what trends they're seeing in their shops. Even though we're working digitally, we're trying to keep our relationships as human as possible by developing real connections with store owners. We use HubSpot to track all of our wholesale accounts and prospects. We're honestly just scratching the surface in HubSpot's capabilities, but it's really nice to know that we're set up in a system that has the features we'll need as we grow. We track the contact information for all of our wholesale stockists and leads in HubSpot. There's so much data that we can add for each stockist, not just email and address, but any personal notes, the last time they ordered, or special requirements. When it's time to reach out to our accounts, we can filter so that we're sending more personalized messages to each store, and that is super helpful. My HubSpot CRM platform helps my business stay connected. Learn more about how it can do the same for yours at HubSpot.com. Okay, you've talked a little bit about recovering from burnout. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear, so you wrote a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you yeah. like got in there with your feelings and processed them and share them, which is, yes. is one way of doing it. But what other things did you do to really help you, to help you get through burnout? So for me, um, it really was reshaping the concept of success. So burnout, I, I chased money. I chased people's uh, approval which is 100% for me how I ended up in that dark space. 
when I looked at what does success look like or how, how can I reshape success for me? I moved it out of um, alignment with money and alignment with validation. And I moved it over into feelings that let me be um, free. And so for me, the happy was my word. I wanted to be happy again. What made me happy? So once I got like, I wanted to be happy, success meant happy. What makes me happy? And I literally just like would write down random stuff. And I made a commitment to myself that I was going to find what made me happy. And uh, it was little things like um, taking 20 minutes to sit in a bathtub without anyone, without my phone or uh, traveling, seeing friends. I didn't have any friends anymore. I was working around the clock. I had the last time I went on a date was, you know, I hadn't been on a date in so long when I was in that space. So I wanted to do things that made me happy and that uh, I made a list and literally would start going down the list of things I could incorporate into my life that were easy at first, little tiny things. And I would take a moment to recognize the fact that in this moment, I am happy. And that little by little, it started to work. So um, at the time, Zumba was like all over the place. Um, I would take like, go to, you know, rent, get a two week pass to a free gym or something. And I'd go to Zumba class until I could find the place that really fit my personality. And I made, I was like, okay, I'm going to come here. This is, this makes me happy. This place makes me happy. I found that thing. So for an hour, five days a week, I was happy when I was here. Um, yeah. So that was that actually that whole, what makes me happy um, that lasted, it took me probably, I'd say like six to nine months of doing that exercise every day, um, to give me the space to finally breathe. And by that point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do the thing. I'm ready to do the next thing. So, um, traveling, meeting friends was on my happy list, which is why I ended up in California and literally happened to be at a party with somebody at the Huffington Post at the time. And this is why magic, how magic happens in my life. I made the commitment to find happy. I started doing new things for myself, putting myself first, traveling, just driving to California, sitting sitting at a beach and any at a random party. And then, um, yeah, happened to meet somebody there. And I was like, Hey, I'm a recovered burnout. She's like, you should write that. And then I did, it got published and my next adventure started. So it's a long, it is a long winding road. But one of the things that really did help me was being open to the idea of letting the universe guide me instead of me guiding it. So in this concept of reshaping my, my concept of success, instead of chasing it, I let it come to me. What some wonderful practical practices is like daily what makes me happy. And it's this isn't what, you know, Cosmo tells you makes you happy, right? This is like the weird little things in your life that just make you happy. Um, that's a practice I can relate to very much so. Um, and I even want to even throw back actually I love the Zumba reference and how that really does date this situation. Like that made me sort of giggly. Just (laughs) remember the age of Zumba, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) But what you were saying earlier about, um, oh man, where was I going? Zumba just interrupted my line of thought. Oh man, I can't remember. But the 
the little stuff. The little the little things are are really important. And mm-hmm. you mentioned too that it took you six to nine months to sort of yeah. get to a place where you could breathe, like doing this practice. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that I really want to highlight because for me it was like 12 to 18. It took me a while to realize that there needed to be a happiness practice in place, yeah. right? Of like the the world's not just going to fix itself. Like I'm going to have to start figuring something else. This isn't just something that's going to lift one day. You yeah. actually have to do things. Um, and then a happiness practice is something that I will still pull out. If I wake up on a Saturday and I'm just not feeling it. And like, I think we can all relate to just that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what is one thing I can do today that will just make me happy? And it doesn't matter how weird or seemingly lame or like if it makes you happy, that's all that matters. And prioritizing that it does, it unlocks potential for yeah. magic to happen for you to stumble into the person that you need or to find the like, exactly. you know, next piece of inspiration or to just get a little bit of happiness to take you the next step. Yep. So the six to nine months was after I had spent a good two months, literally just sort of crying and screaming and questioning, how did I get here? It was after I came back into my work and I was like, okay, I need some help. We have to do things differently. And then, yeah, I am. What makes me happy? I actually, I wrote about that and got on stage and told that story of, I made a list of stuff that made me happy. And like glitter was on the list. Um, roller coasters was on the list. Um, talks with girlfriends. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't made the time for that. So yeah, it was the little things like where it was like calling a friend, even texting a friend, um, responding to ones I haven't responded to in a year. Um, reaching out, asking for, not just asking for help professionally and telling people about what I was doing, but letting people know how I was feeling. I totally cut that piece off. And um, I think a lot of times women running their own businesses feel like we did this thing. We went out into the world. We said we were going to do this and we've done it. We can't let anybody else know how it's actually going. And so we don't, we sit here in this silo and we just push forward and run as fast as we can, as hard as we can for as long as we can without ever stopping because we don't want anyone to know we feel broken, unsuccessful, um, the flaws behind us as human beings. Um, and that hurts my heart so much knowing that so many, I, I mean, I was there. I know what that feels like. I, I, I know others do too. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing that you hit on that is particularly important for bosses to hear is this idea of releasing control. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Whenever it comes to healing from something like burnout, you have no control over it. Like no. you show up, you try, you, you know, do the things that make you happy. You continue to work towards your version of success. Like you do these things, but otherwise you do have to open yourself up to the sixth sense of humor of the universe. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I know. I love it. And when you are, um, when you're able to do that, which is hard, it was hard for me at first because it was counterproductive. It was counterintuitive. It was like, but if I stop, 
I won't get the thing. You know, the contract won't come back. The money won't come in all these things. Meanwhile, my soul over here, my heart is over here, like screaming. But if you don't stop, you're going to break. (laughs) And so that's what happened. I finally surrendered it. um, And I remember, so I, I was on USA network. I was in this award ceremony called characters unite. And um, the people over at USA came to Phoenix, threw me this huge party on this rooftop, on this rooftop. Um, And I remember walking away from that event feeling like, Everything happens for everything happens for a reason. I am incredibly grateful for this opportunity, but if I don't fix what feels broken inside, I won't get opportunities like this again. Uh, and so I did. I gave myself the space to sort of stop, heal, and I needed to heal so I wasn't resentful because at that point I was like angry. And I don't, I was probably lashing out at everyone around me, but um, I was so unhealthy. I was so unhappy. And yet I was on the rooftop of this hotel, a major opportunity, and I didn't feel satisfied. So I was like, okay, well, we, this has to change. That's your moment, right? That's yeah. your moment of recognition that something has to change. Then let's let's transition this a little bit and talk about the success piece. Because okay. that's something that's come up many times. It's something we've talked about here, but I always love hearing sort of different perspectives of of how this has affected you and how it is that you've transitioned and really like how it is that you work out and encourage people to find their own version of success. Mm-hmm. So what words of advice do you have for anyone who may be listening who um either may not be finding success as quickly as they want to, or are simply going after someone else's version of success. Right. So um, this is the hardest one for me to talk about because I do feel, um, I remember what that felt like of like constantly comparing myself to what other women were doing and what they were showing as a result of what they were doing. And so I tried all these things. Um, So the first thing for me, the concept of success was it moved out from validation and money specifically. And validation came when I would do something, I would tell a peer and I didn't get what I wanted back. And so I would move over here and I would try my friends or family. I would even try my love life. Didn't get it. So, um, Unhooking myself from that definition of success meant that I was getting recognition, I was getting validation, and I was getting money to actual feelings, not external circumstances, but feelings. Um, I am successful this morning because I spent five minutes to show myself gratitude just by smiling at myself in the mirror, you know, taking a <laughs> taking um, a longer shower and dancing. So for me, the success really went from outside circumstances, outside validation to how I was taking care of myself. That was how I started. When it came to my career, my job and what I was doing in the world, success 
started, uh, I pulled it out of that validation external thing and start, had to do it very small. So I was successful yesterday because I reached out to, I offered my services to 30 people. I can't, I can't control what anyone's going to say and what they're going to come back to me with, but at least I put effort into this, that for, that had to be successful for me, my effort to support myself, not for anything else other than as an entrepreneur, putting effort into what I'm doing. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the thing is coming up for me is, you know, comparing your four really great checks on your to-do list to someone else's 20, like screw their 20, celebrate mm-hmm. your four, high five. Right, right. <laughs> you did this today. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of comparison trap things in there, right? Of just like, what does this look like to you? What makes you feel good? And don't give a fuck right. <laughs> about what anyone else is doing. One of the things that um, one of the things that I had to do as I was coming out of burnout was to really get off social media. Like I had to totally. just focus on me and myself and what made me feel good and otherwise adopting a hardcore gratitude practice so that I could remember the th- ways in my life that I was already like totally successful, right? Yeah. Like I had achieved one of the things for me has always been being able to get up on my own time in the morning and have breakfast with my family. Like I don't have to get up and commute an hour and a half to work. I don't have to like I don't have to do all of those things. I've built a life for myself where I can get up without an alarm clock and I can have a leisurely chill breakfast with my family. And that's like does that make me money? Not at right. all. Right. <laughs> does that give me any clout or like get me published in something cool? Nope. But like I don't want any of that if I can just have this every day. Um, and so uh, I, I find that a really good gratitude practice, and you can even do it through the lens of like, what in what ways in my life am I already successful? Oftentimes will give you the nuggets of the of the things that you can move towards, right? right? To define success for yourself. As bosses, we know the importance of testimonials, right? It's what helps your customers decide to buy you over your competition. And I know it helps you discern where to put your money too. So when it comes to deciding what move to make and how you manage the money side of your business, let me just say that FreshBooks, the easy to use accounting software designed specifically with small businesses in mind, has had over 24 million users, has 4.5 out of 5 stars on GitApp, and has been a favorite tool for bosses for over 7 years. Which means something very important. Small business owners like you really love using it, and it might be just the solution you're looking for to invoice your customers, track your expenses, and manage your books. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss to get started today. Yeah, so for me, it really came down to, so being an empath, I have lots of feelings. For me, it came down to feeling successful meant I was happy in whatever I was doing. If I was happy in this moment, I was like, I feel successful. I feel grateful. Yeah. Grateful was another one for me, but um, yeah. So when I would chase, when I chased money, when I chased somebody else's approval, I always felt depleted. I felt this void. Um, Sometimes I was lonely. I remember some of the biggest moments I had in my career 
I had them. And then you come back to this house. I was single. I came back to an empty house at the end of the night of like something really big. I'm like, it shouldn't be this way. Right. I shouldn't feel weird after having this huge high and all of a sudden it's major crash. And so I was like, I want to sort of ride this equilibrium of being just happy without the roller coaster. Um, yeah. So redefining success for me really meant that no matter what I was doing, if I was happy in it, I was successful. Yeah. But I do remember in the beginning of whatever business I was running, um, having a hard time uh, not doing, not run, not moving forward, not doing all these things. Um, so when it came to my career, I like reaching out to people. I like helping people tell their stories. I like, you know, I like talking to people. And even now with this book, I, you know, I'll sit on a Sunday afternoon and research 25 or 30 bloggers that are putting cool, you know, reviews out in the world for nonfiction pieces. And I'll reach out to them. And that's fun for me. I'm happy doing that. That's not um, something I'm being forced to do. I'm not. Yeah. So it is, it's a, it's a harder for me. Redefining success was, um, it was a harder thing for me to do because of all of the preconceived notions I had for so long and all the programs and all the things that were taught and all the hustle and all of these things are constantly being told to us that as a woman, as an entrepreneur, if you're a boss, you have to do it hard. You have to do it fast. You have to do it constantly. You have to make a ton of money. It was hard. That success month was harder for me to flip. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because yes, I, I think there's tons of repro or yes, reprogramming that we have to do and unlearning that we have to do, especially as entrepreneurs, because we are going outside the box to do something that most people haven't done before, at least not in the way that we've done it. So we have a lot of that to do to even get to a place where we can even tap into what it is that we that how it is that we define success. But as you're saying that, I'm also sort of recognizing that the flip side of this is also true and that we also have more opportunities to define success for ourselves because we are entrepreneurs. Yep. Right. Of like, you know, if you have a day job, maybe you're relatively limited <laughs> in the number of ways that you can define success for yourself, right? Yeah. You're going to find a job that has the benefits that you want. That's going to give you retirement at the age that you want. That's going to afford you the ability to own the boat that you want, <laughs> whatever it may be. Right. And, but you, in doing that, oftentimes you are, what you're giving up is the, what the day-to-day -day uh, work looks like right? Or who five. your boss are is yeah. or who it is that you are bossing around or whatever it may be. So the day-to-day -day can be a little less dreamy, can be a little less sort of directly associated with your feelings for success. Um, but you, you know, have to define it in sort of other ways. But for entrepreneurs, for business owners like us, we have opportunities to define success for ourselves in how it is that we show up every morning to the job that we're creating for ourselves, right? For the tasks that we do every day, for the people we want to hire, for the vendors we want to work with, for the kinds of, you know, PR that we want or whatever it, it may be. And I think most of that's kind of, you know, fluffy success <laughs> right. metrics. Yeah. Um, but you, I feel like we have so many more opportunities to define success for our ways and out of the box ways mm -hmm. um, that once we do the hard work of unlearning, we are more set up for defining success in really cool ways. Yeah. Really cool ways. That. 
I love that. When I wrote, um, so my journey is like, once I moved through burnout and I started to redefine and, you know, move um, out of the nonprofit into my storytelling career, I decided I was ready to go back to dating. And so um, I started, I started saying yes to uh, dinner parties, which led to women asking me if I was single to, it was a, it was a beautiful journey. I did all the dating apps. I went on a lot of bad dates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I put a lot of self, I put a lot of love into my life, starting with self-love and, um, self-care. And, um, when I, I ended up meeting the man I'm married to now, um, uh, and my original book, didn't include him. And so my editor was like, you really need to, you need to, this isn't finished. You need to do it again. Go back to writing. You need, he needs to show up in here somehow. So when I, um, I took several weeks by myself, um, and I wrote about him and me and my theme song during that time was nine to five, because I was like, (laughs) I want to tap into the energy of women um, who are doing all the things they've, you know, maybe they do have a nine to five and they're married and they're running the house and they're being all these things and they're exhausted. And so on my way to the coffee, I would write from coffee shops on my way to the coffee shop. I tuned in and I listened to Dolly over and over and over again until I got that vibe going. And, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I have, yeah. I mean, you can be burned out as a nine to five or you can be burned out as a mom. You can be burned out as an entrepreneur. You COVID burnout. I mean, like it's a real thing. It doesn't matter how you get there. The matter is whether how, putting practices in place for you to get out. That's really what it comes down to. You have to fix, you have to flip it and you have to do the work to flip it. Have to, have to. Um, the next place I want to take us is you've mentioned a couple of times this idea of self-love mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a part of the title of, of your book is, you know, redefining success and self-love. So I'd love to know, like, how do you define self-love and what does it look like? Like, what is the role? What should the role be of self-love in your life and work? Yep. So in the past, Self-love always meant that I was pampering myself. I was spending a ton of money on myself. I was doing the thing because I deserved it. And this concept of deserve, um, (laughs) I worked really hard. I deserved this extra glass of wine. I worked really hard. I deserved um, this extra cookie or uh, when I would take breaks while I was in burnout. Um, It wasn't just like a minute. It was like I took the whole day and I (laughs) went to the spa and, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I relate, <laughs> I relate, <laughs> I indulged. And for that's how it was for me. I was like, you know what? That's an expensive thing. Um, I can't do that all the time. I have to break this down and I have to pull this in that I'm doing not just every once in a while daily, a lot during the day. How can I show myself self-love today? So, um, I started to redefine it wasn't something I earned. It was something I am. I am loved all the time. I love myself all the time. And so I was smiling during this interview, having the book that got me in this interview, sitting on the desk next to me. Um, I mean, making sure I have water. Those are the things that I've done in this interview to show myself. I love myself. And so that it really went from, again, external validation, something I deserved to something I am. 
I feel like so many times in this chat, you have brought up the concepts of self-awareness. Yes. And just being very present. Mm-hmm. Right. Those and it's as I say them, I also recognize those as two things that also help pull me out of burnout. Right. Yeah. And, and just generally are characteristics that, you know, I can pinpoint any boss that I know. They are incredibly self-aware. They know what they need. Right. And can prioritize that for themselves. Um, and they are present to like know that, you know, self-love right now does not necessarily mean another taco, <laughs> right? It could just yeah. mean another glass of water. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Yeah, totally. And or it, whatever it, it may be. <laughs> it cha- It totally changes from moment to moment. Um, when I was, so after I changed my careers and I, I closed the nonprofit and I moved into my storytelling career, I uh, went back to my roots of storytelling is what I say. I um, started dating again. and. I was on this really bad day and this guy's like, you know, you're third. I was 37 at the time. I'm not anymore. I'm in my forties. I was 37 at the time. And he was like, Hey, you have, you know, it's too late. You missed your chance to get married and have kids. And I wrote about that too. Um, it propelled me to put myself through two rounds of IVF. Both of them failed and my body shut down. I mean, I was like bedridden, um, super, super, super sick. And so I went back to, it was a different kind of burnout. I was truthfully, physically unable to move a lot of the time. And so I had nothing to do, but think I would take naps. I would cuddle underneath the covers and like self-love went from somebody pampering me and taking care of me to giving myself permission to rest. And I felt sexy doing it. I felt like, um, it was this luxurious thing. I was resting and that was sexy. It was crazy to go from this rat race to being at peace and literally loving myself from head to toe. I would picture like every cell in my body being like massaged. And yeah, it was, um, it was a different, it definitely flipped to, I am loved right now in this being. I don't have to get permission from anyone else to do this. I'm doing this right now. Yeah. Oh, sounds kind of trippy. I like it. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to pinpoint this, this idea of permission to rest mm-hmm. um, and how luxurious that feels. Because yes. I recently did an episode on rest and how I still see bosses struggling with it. And I, I we always will. I do think that as people start crawling themselves out of this like collective burnout that they're experiencing, that it may be easier for people to pri- for a lot of people to prioritize it for themselves. But I relate to that a hundred percent. I would rather take a nap than buy a pair of shoes most days. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because there is nothing more, nothing more pampering than claiming some time for yourself and doing whatever you want, especially if that whatever you want is take a nap or to just <laughs> lay there and read a book. And, I know. and it's it's a practice that I have very much so found some joy in over the past couple of years, even um, Saturday, mo- was Saturday, Sunday morning, one of those mornings this past weekend, um, I was in bed until noon and I slept all morning and it felt like the most boss thing I had done in months. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, right? It's so important. And the struggle I see a lot, the boundary for me again, is in this unhooking of 
your perception of what I have to do and who I have to be is not mine. And if I need to sit here and sit in meditation, like the other day I took like, I don't know, I was in like an 85 minute meditation, whatever. And I've done it like two or three times and I absolutely love it. And I could hear people walking by in the hallway and the door was locked and I I could have easily gotten up and dealt with it. But instead I put my earbuds in and I was like, no, this is my moment. This is my, I need this. I'm going to take this. I, this is it. Yeah. And so it changes, it changes again. It's a daily practice, um, reshaping success and self-love, but entrepreneurs definitely need both those things constantly. Constantly. Taking the time. Yeah. Indeed. Perfect. My sort of lastest question for you is around the vulnerability of writing a book like this. Crazy. Right? How are you feeling now that this book is not out quite yet? Very soon. No. May 24th. Um, May 24th. But as I was reading through this, is this like one of the most vulnerable accounts of burnout I have read? Um, incredibly engaging. But as I was reading it too, I was like, damn. <laughs> Okay. Love it. How how are you feeling about it? And and what got you into a space to think that, or to feel as if this is how you wanted to share this journey? Um, I am excited and freaking out at the same time. I Mm -hmm. will, um, like this morning I got the, you know, we knew this was happening and suddenly my brain went blank and I called my coach and I was like, I don't know what the F I'm going to do. What if I can't (laughs) speak? And she's like, you're talking about your life. You, it will be there. Um, and so there is this, there's the, I feel like I'm under a shower of confetti and yet at the same time, know very well, I'm effing naked. And so it's very weird. It is incredibly weird. But when it comes to writing this vulnerable, um, I don't know how, how else to do it. I knew, I knew this book was calling me. I knew I had to get this out. This is my, this is, I'm a writer. I believe very strongly that I went through these pieces of life so that I could put this out to the world. Um, and I don't know how else to do it than as raw as it is. And I mean, there's chapters in here. Like I said, I'm still shocked made it. There's things in here about my experience. I'm praying people, um, are sensitive to because like, if you don't like this and you come back and you kind of, you're like, yeah. So there's a lot going on in my head. So talking about redefining and reshaping success and self love right now is like huge because I'm constantly unhooking other people's validations, external circumstances. However, this lands is how it's going to land. My success right, right now is I did this. This is, I put this out to the world. It is an actual book. I spent eight years working on it and I birthed this. I birthed this. It feels really good. Yeah. Thank it's you. wonderful. God, it's I crazy. think <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. And honestly, as I, as I mentioned before, I think a book about burnout that's in this way or in this sort of form is going to be so much more relatable and human than all of the, you know, brain science books out there. And they both have their place. I am not poo-pooing on the brain science books literally at all. But this is 
This is a different take, and I think one that's going to be so much more relatable, especially to our crowd. Um, I'm glad that you did it in this way. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Will you tell everyone where it is they can find you and this book? Sure. So the book is called Unapologetically Enough, Reshaping Success and Self-Love. You can come over to unapologeticallyenough.com, send me a note. Uh, There's plenty of places you can find the book. The book is out May 24th. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon bookshop, Target, Walmart, just head to whatever website you love. Grab it, but please let me know what you think. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Perfect. Carrie, this has been a treat. I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. What's making you feel most boss? Oh my goodness. Right now, this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You spoke great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Honestly, being what's making me feel most boss is that I'm owning, I'm owning this. I'm owning this book. I'm owning the story and I'm telling people about it. Yeah. It's a beautiful book, baby. Congratulations. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me. This has been a great chat. Absolutely. My treat. All right, boss, because you're here, I know you want to be a better creative business owner, which means I've got something for you. Each week, the team at Being Boss is scouring the news, the best entrepreneurial publications and updates and releases of the apps and tools that run our businesses and is curating it all into a weekly email that delivers the must know tips and tactics in the realms of mindset, money and productivity. This email is called Brood. We brew it up for you each week to give you the insight you need to make decisions and move forward in your creative business. Check it out now and sign up for yourself at beingboss.club slash brood. That's beingboss.club slash B-R-E-W-E-D. Now, until next time, do the work, be boss.